Blood, blood, sticky, sticky blood. Blood, blood, sticky, sticky blood. Blood, blood, sticky, sticky blood. Welcome to Networking with Satan. Networking with Satan. A talk show where my guests and I dive deep into significant heavy metal albums. As always, shout out to Count Morgulak for giving us our theme song. That little clip was from a track called Esconced in the Putrefying Remains of a Vile Animal Carcass under the opalescent winter moon amidst a pulverizing hailstorm whilst being ceaselessly devoured by ravenous vermin. Escorts through the putrefying remains of a violatable carcass under the opalescent winter moon amidst a pulverizing hailstorm whilst being ceaselessly devoured by ravenous vermin. Thanks again, Count Morgulak. Today's guest is Finn Straley, Finn Straley. a very talented comedian and writer whose stand-up has been featured on Hulu and profiled in Time Out LA. He is also one of my best friends. One of my best friends. And I'm very excited he agreed to be the opening guest on this podcast. Today, we are talking about The Sound of Perseverance by Death. Led by Chuck Schuldiner, Death was one of the primary originators and most significant innovators of extreme metal in the United States. Over seven albums, their music progressed from pummeling assaults of blistering brutality to complex, ornate compositions, which made space for such moods as melancholy, sorrow, and triumph. In turn, their lyrics shifted from horror and gore to more earthly considerations of human wickedness and suffering. Their artistic evolution reached its apex with Symbolic, released in 1995, and their last album, The Sound of Perseverance, released in 1998. After The Sound of Perseverance, Death disbanded, and Chuck Schuldiner moved away from extreme metal, making one album with a power metal outfit called Control Denied. In 2001, he died of brain cancer at age 34. The Sound of Perseverance is one of my favorite albums ever. I find it to be a work of staggering power and nearly unbearable beauty, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about it. Follow the show on Instagram at NetworkingWithSatan and Twitter at NWS42666. And feel free to email us with album suggestions and feedback at NetworkingWithSatan at gmail.com. And now, please welcome Finn Straley. Finn Straley, thanks for being on the program today. Hi, Pedro. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about the, a death metal classic. It is my pleasure. So today we're talking about The Sound of Perseverance by Death. You were not too familiar with this album before we agreed to talk about it. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. I like, I've listened to a good amount of death, but like specifically this album, uh, I hadn't really like dived into very much. So it was have, really, uh, had you ever heard it or was this the first time you heard it? I think at one point I did just like listen to all every death album. Uh -huh. Um, so I've definitely heard it before, but this was the first time like in a while that I've like sat down and just listened to it front to back. And, so uh, what were your immediate impressions upon hearing it this time around? I mean, one thing that really jumped out to me was just like how kind of clear the vocals are. What pain will it take to satisfy your sick appetite? Especially compared to like, I mean, other death metal for sure, but even mm -hmm. like earlier death albums. I mean, that's always kind of something on death albums I, I really like and respect is that you can kind of like 
understand the lyrics. He's not doing the like kind of cookie monster, like super low growl that where everything is just like unintelligible. Like he clearly had like has written lyrics and is like singing them so that you can hear them. Yes. Um, and then also like uh, a, the big thing for me, I think, especially just like kind of having listened to other death stuff and like other death metal is like how sort of transitional the sound is on this one. Like how he's kind of getting almost more into like power metal yes. stuff. Like there's, there's stuff on this that just sounds straight up like Iron Maiden or like, I, I don't know, just like very triumphant, very uh, like, you know, big soaring, like kind of, swelling chords <laughs> it sounds awesome i mean it's a great sound I and mean, i it, it feels like i don't know like a culmination of a lot of stuff that he's he'd been working towards and that's very true so you mentioned it sounds like a transitional album and mm -hmm. it truly was for him because after this death was no longer a band and right. he he created Control Denied, which is yeah. another band with all the same musicians, pretty much, mm -hmm. as the most recent iteration, as the last iteration of Death, but with a clean Bruce Dickinson style falsetto vocalist. Yeah, it's you, it's pretty sick. I listened to it today. I, I've, I've been listening to it a little bit like this week. It's uh, I really like it. I don't know that that album is pretty cool. It's pretty good. It, I, yeah. I do have to say, this is the best they've ever sounded to me, and I think the vocals mm. on this album are perfect. They're some of the greatest yeah. metal vocals ever, and it yeah. almost makes me sad. Because I, I, you know, been reading a lot of Chuck, interviews with Chuck Schuldiner, the band leader, mm. the guy who, you know, does the vocals on this album and, yeah. and plays guitar, and he. Uh, he didn't like his own voice. He didn't like no. the way his own growling or screaming sounded. He always thought, oh, like mm. our band rules, but like the vocals kind of ruin it. <laughs> and that's yeah. so far away from how I feel about this album. It's flabbergasting to me. Yeah, it's definitely one of those cases where, uh, I, like I was, this happened to me recently where I watched I watched Blood Simple recently and I, it just that movie fucking rules. It's mm -hmm. so good. And then reading an interview with the Coens where they're like, by, they're like, God, that movie's terrible. Like that we really had not figured stuff out. It's like this weird thing where you read stuff by artists where like some of their best work, in my opinion, like they think is is bad. I mean, I think with with Chuck Schuldiner, it's like he he at this point, especially, it seemed like he was really kind of embarrassed by a lot of like death metal mm -hmm. stuff. Like he didn't really identify with, you know, the the like ultra dark worldview and the the gore stuff like he was more he really just thought of himself as like a metal guy and i think um, he i think he even though death all-time band name for me that's yeah it's, great. it's, it's perfect it's, perfect, it's yeah. uh right it's right where it needs to be but i think mm -hmm. he also started to feel hemmed in by that name yeah yeah i read of there's like interviews i saw he like in multiple places where he was like i named it when i was really young like if i was gonna name it again now as an adult like i probably wouldn't uh call it death like it's just yeah it, it feels like he was sort of a he was really aware of like how kind of adolescent a lot of the death metal stuff is yeah 
and uh, was kind of wanting to shift away from it. I'm, I'm so curious. It's so sad that he died for so many reasons. His development as an artist already was so fascinating and like where he would have gone kind of like, it seemed like he was really wanting to transition into more kind of like, uh, I don't know if like if it's mainstream or if it's like, but just more like power metal, more like clean vocals, mm-hmm. kind of where the music is really is really the main point of it, not sure. like the aggression. And I'm just so curious what he what he would have done because he was such an unbelievable talent and such an incredible like visionary artist. It's it's very pertinent that this band was formed in his adolescence. They yeah they first started rehearsing in 1984 under the name or maybe 1983 under the name Mantis right in his parents' garage in uh in in the suburbs of Orlando, Florida. Yeah. His parents were very supportive of his efforts by by all accounts. There's a, a band fellow band members describe rehearsing at his house and Chuck's mom making dinner for them every single night, mm-hmm. which is very right. sweet. It's like, oh, did you boys have fun recording? Uh, you know the brutality <laughs> yeah. demo. Here's, yeah, with like a, a bunch farm. of du- a bunch of dudes and like cut off like black denim vests <laughs> with like iron like Slayer or like Iron Maiden. Patches and stuff. Well, his his brother had just died too, right? That's kind of part of it. Is like she was sort of bringing all of these like young young guys in like around as I don't I don't I have no idea if that actually makes a difference. No, but that, I think that was that was a big part out. of his story. Yeah, yeah, and but so so death arises from this environment that's there's a kind of wide eyed innocence about it, even though the lyrical content is brutal, right? Their first mm. album is called Scream Bloody Gore. <laughs> yeah. But it was really just Chuck, and, and all of death is Chuck Schuldiner. It's it's yeah. him. Mm. There's been, there, there were about 25 different band members who cycled through over the mm. course of the 15 years the band was together, but it's always been Chuck Schuldiner at the forefront. And everything he always did came out of just this pure love for the form of metal it just yeah what the, the the way that he felt he could express himself in this through this sound mm-hmm. meant everything to him and in the beginning that had the aesthetic of death metal which was gore evil he did a little bit of satanic stuff in the beginning and then went away right. from it he he was they were not a satanic death metal band in contrast to deicide or Mormon mm-hmm. Angel, or any of the other their contemporaries. Yeah, like Incantation or whatever. Yeah, right. And then as they progressed, the musicianship became better, and Chuck Schuldiner's curiosity grew, and I think he just wanted to, yeah, grow beyond the limitations of what you know what he had decided to name the band when he was seventeen. And, yeah. yeah, and and, and it's it's so tragic that that was, well, mm-hmm. it's tragic of course just for the the sake of a human life, but also right. because he was this constantly growing artist who yeah who like really cared about and loved his genre too i mean that's part of it to me yet like kind of what you were saying is that he really like uh he he just loved metal so much and yeah. it, more so than like kind of glorifying himself it seemed like in the se- the sense that i got in all the interviews you i read about of him was like he wanted metal to be a a popular genre in the united states and in the world like mm-hmm. he wanted it to connect with people he thought there that really had something of value to offer the world and he like really cared deeply about 
it like reaching a lot of people. Like that's, I just think that's a really amazing kind of stance for an artist to take. It's like, it wasn't really ever about like enriching himself or, no. you know, like ego for him. It seems like it really does seem like he just genuinely loved this type of music and wanted it to reach as many people as possible. And it's such an, it's such an achievement to, because this album, I mean, this is not a popular album as far as like, I, you could, you <laughs> yeah. wouldn't put this on at like a fucking, you know, at a, mm. a, a cookout or something like. I wouldn't. Yeah. 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 Or like, uh, hey, yeah. hey, I'm having a girl over my dorm room. Yeah. Time to, to put on Santa Perseverance. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to fuck to scavenger of human sorrow. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I hear that in this album though, because it has hooks, it has. Yeah. memorable choruses mm-hmm. and and the lyrics are clear and they're about emotions that are actually somewhat relatable even though they're sometimes phrased in really like arch metal ways yeah but it's they, again this is not an album about child sacrifice it's not an album about drinking blood about mm-hmm. anything gory or absurd it's it's about regular everyday suffering that human beings <laughs> yeah. go through Right. It, that I think that's one of the most amazing things. The, one of the things that really stuck out to me the most kind of like after my first re-listen to of it was like, I, I think of metal as such an escapist genre. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so, and so much of what it, like people come to it for is like escapism is, you know, fantasy or like, you know, absurd gore or Satanism or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But this is like the least escapist album I've like ever heard. No. It's just all about like confronting suffering and, and like your, your own pain as like uh, honestly and uh, directly as possible. It's pretty amazing that this he's al- able to do that. This album has gotten me through a few really horrible temp jobs, like office. Wow. You know, just yeah. you you know the type where you're yes. sitting at a cubicle for hours t- typing in right. you know data entry and um feeling that kind of drab hemmed in <laughs> misery, you know? Yeah, the, right. The overwhelming cause but then you know, some of those jobs you could nobody cares what you're doing, so you can listen uh-huh. to music on headphones and Yeah, yeah. I just I just would listen to this album a lot and albums like it and feel a sense of exhilaration at the sheer mm power of it and the force of it and the right the kind of like life energy that is coursing through it at a hundred yeah. miles an hour it's so intense and it, and it it seemed to like answer something that needed to be addressed inside of me yeah it, it like almost does that thing of it make like making your own neg- instead of like kind of creating a world that you can escape into which a lot of metal does and a lot of that stuff is great i, I mm-hmm. love that kind of thing too but this does like something i think only like really great art does where it makes your negative feelings like themselves like kind of appear magical like yeah it, it makes it which is like an incredible yeah that's just such a cool thing for any music to be able to do it's it's he, he truly that i guess that's like the the main my main takeaway from it was like wow this really is like a visionary work of art it is truly visionary it has a sense of it has a way of crystallizing your own inner pain i think the production helps because it's so perfectly clear you're it's like you're you can hear everything you can mm-hmm. hear the bass really well you can hear the vocals really yeah. well whereas so many yeah, i love ex- how the bass sounds yeah the bass is great yeah the, mm. the drums are massive because so many extreme metal albums are made kind of to be murky and difficult to listen to 
that's yeah. the aesthetic of so much early death metal, obviously of, of early black metal is that it was right. supposed to be like shitty, but. And it, part of it, that is like the way that it was listened to too, was it was all like tape trading and stuff. Yeah. Like it wasn't being released on major re- labels or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, they weren't like recording in studios. They were like recording on like single mics and people's garages mm-hmm. and then like mailing their tapes across the country or whatever. So I think part of the aesthetic kind of comes from that too. Yeah. Some of, of it, like the some sound. Of- some of it comes from necessity, but then the necessity mm-hmm. bred a whole aesthetic of like, yeah, totally. The the more the shittier it sounds, the more brutal it is. But Chuck Schuldiner, as pretty early on in the recording career of Death, was like, thought, no, I want people to be able to listen to our work as clearly mm-hmm. as possible because I and it goes back to what you were saying that he wanted metal to be more accessible mm-hmm. because he felt that it was important that people should listen to it and respond to it. Yeah, and I would I'd be curious like what people because I know death, a lot of people are like really turned off by like especially death metal, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is because of the vocals. I think uh, you know like people who would maybe into be into like you know hard rock or sure. like you know kind of a more aggressive music or like hardcore punk or something. Uh-huh. Um, just like you know can't stand metal because of like the oh, how, <laughs> how like unpleasant it sounds most of the time but i feel like if you were interested at all or if if one is interested at all in death in like trying to figure out what people like about death metal like all the death's discography is a really great place to start just because it's kind of like the most distilled like pleasant to listen to version of 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 the, the genre i think yeah, they they were not the first death metal band, technically speaking. Yeah, possessed. Were, yeah, I think possessed yeah. churches and maybe Morbid Angel had an album out before. Oh Scream wow! Gore, but that's crazy. Death Death is the death metal album for for my yeah. for my money because they they did it the best and then they expanded mm-hmm. beyond the bounds of the genre, which right is for me the sign of any interesting metal band. Ultimately, yeah, I feel like kind of the one of the marks of like how you can tell who the real innovator in a genre is, is like, who's the first to try to leave it. Yeah. And right. he's, he's definitely, he definitely felt over it before, like, you know, uh, by the, at least like the time he was, you know, stopping. I mean, sign of perseverance was made to like satisfy a contract, right? Like this, he was, he didn't, he was like working on all the controlled denied stuff and then was like, okay, I'll make one last death album. Yeah. And then I've it seen- just fucking rules. Yeah, so I'm not. I, I I saw that too. I'm not sure because then I read a different mm. uh, interview or, or kind of a long form piece about Chuck Schuldiner where yeah, it's at first I, I at first I was really surprised to hear this was a contract obligation album because yeah, so, like, it's so powerful. But right. then I think then it's it might have been more a little more nuanced than that where I think Chuck Schuldiner did want to start working on Control Denied before this, but okay. then but then they couldn't find the right vocalist. And he thought, you know what, like, let's make one more death album and, you know, really like commit to that. But a lot yeah. of the songs they were working on, a lot of the songs that ended up on this album, I think were also considered, he considered making them control denied songs. So there are demos of these songs of clean vocals. Whoa. Which to me don't sound as good. The, the, yeah. The vocals are a completely important part of why this album is so powerful to me. I, I don't think this would be as good with like a Rob Halford style vocalist. Yeah, even like I mean the the with the Judas Priest cover at the end, the painkiller 
uh, yes, cover. He it he does kind of do it, and it he does sure. I think it works there. I, I like oh, it, it does. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of sick just because it's like you've been listening to the normal death vocals, and it's uh-huh. also just nice where it's like leading. It. There's something cool about the fact that it's like leading into Control Denied, where it's like. Okay, he's like you're almost listening to him like act transition in real time as that, like as the album goes on. But I agree that it's like yeah, it's not it's not the sound. It's just like it, the the vocal the way that he sings is such a huge part of like why this album sounds so good. Should we start going through the tracks? Yeah, let's do it. So the first song on this album, beginnings are very important in any in any form of music and metal especially this has one of the greatest beginnings to anything i've ever heard it is so <laughs> it's so intense this is scavenger of human sorrow immediate thoughts about scavenger of human sorrow yeah well, when i first listened to this i I was under the impression I thought that he had he was like aware that he was dying while he wrote this. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that it was about kind of that ex- his experience of like being someone with a terminal illness and like yeah. people kind of like feeding off of that, which was it, it made it really intense. I kind of yeah. like that interpretation of it. I think it still is basically about that exact thing, but it's like it's it's not quite as uh like melodramatic or something as I as as I initially thought it was, but Man, all the rest that is, of that is so that's good. a very, that is a good interpret. I mean, that's a very intense and uh, yeah, that that that, that, uh, that is a song that he would write if, if that was the situation. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, but I so mean, just, even like understanding actually what the actual context around it is, or you know that that's that wasn't the case. Like, it's just such an amazing, like, pers- concise and uh, like specific type of like way that people are shitty. Okay, this song opens with, what pain will it take to satisfy your sick appetite? This is how I start all my therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, that what it, is it about a therapist? It does kind of sound like someone who's mad at some kind of counseling figure who feeds mm-hmm. off of the negativity and pain of somebody else. Right. But yeah. whatever it's about, it's... Um, yeah, it's it's an incredible subject. It's it, because it, it uses kind of physical images. I mean, you think of a vulture, right? A scavenger. Yeah. Um, always in sight, prey. The time always right. Feast, feed on the pain. <laughs> taste, sorrow made flesh, sweet. God, like so, the rhythm of it is so good too. Just like the way that the. I mean, it's like how the the like these lyrics are like timed out. The meter of it is so is so just like perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and and man, I mean, uh, talk about what Chuck Schulner's voice sounds like in this song. What what do you hear with his scream? What, what what does it evoke for you? I mean, it to me, it just is like it really evokes the feeling of someone who is is actually pissed off and really angry. Like especially, I mean, because it sounds kind of more to me like black metal vocals, like the it's, high. It's a shriek. It's yeah, yeah the shriek. It, it yeah, it sounds like someone who is just like completely at the end of their rope. <laughs> it's yeah. like just. It sounds like uh, someone screaming in their car. I guess is kind of how what it reminds me of. <laughs> it I've, sounds. I've like also the way that... yeah. I also listened to this album a lot, like on the way to work. Yes, you know, and so this was a huge like uh, eight thirty a.m. traffic <laughs> album. And yeah, it, it you know it, it it gets the job done in that circumstance. It, yeah. Oh my God, I can't imagine, man. 
yeah, when I was driving Postmates, I would like listen to this and listen to, or like, you know, and like other black metal, just mm-hmm. like really. And, but and after a while, you sort of can't because it's like dangerous to be on the road, like in yeah, this mindset. Sure, sure. It's too, it's too much, but. Yeah, but it really does kind of, uh, yeah, it, it helps something. It's like uh, like lancing a boil or, you know, something like that. It, it, it feels like it. It, you connect to something so intense with it that it uh, it really can be like helpful in a very real way. Yeah, this is a strangely therapeutic album for for me somehow. I think just because it the the intensity of it has yeah. it made me feel better multiple times. Just if I'm angry about something, it it, ha- it has a it has a it has a sense of like seeing your pain and acknowledging it and and yeah crystallizing it as as we were saying yeah man let's uh let's let's take a step back for a second and and talk about first the death logo oh yeah what do you think of the death logo it's 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 spiky letters there's a there's a there's there's a cross for the t and then there's a a scythe like the grim reaper scythe in between the a and the t did he change it at some point where it like he he made the the T like less cross like to like kind of get rid of any religious symbolism in it or was it like I don't know man Oh you it, know what yeah because uh, early on the first version the cross was like an upside down cross right and then by the end it's more of a it just look more, looks more like a regular T yeah or almost it's like some sort of pagan symbol or something. But I don't it know. Does, it does look cross-like for sure. The the shape yeah. of it. Did he design this? It looks so good. It's a great logo. It's very readable. Um, unlike you know a lot of death metal logos. Uh-huh. I I was trying to find out who designed it. I feel like it's him because everything else about this band is so personal to Chuck yeah. Schuldiner. But it could have been a friend of his or something. But it, it's 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 an all-time logo for me. Yeah, it's it looks fucking. It, it works so great as like a patch or a sticker or like just whatever. It's like yeah, it's got a perfect branding. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like that was something he was very aware of too, or that you would sort of have to be as a death metal person if you you know you're an underground metal guy where kind of you're 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 not like necessarily even like selling mm-hmm. like albums. You're sort of like selling a like a type of like a brand. Sure. Like the logo is such a huge part of it, and like, yeah, the sound of it. the The album cover for this also is really fucking good. Is I, it's uh, one of my favorite covers. It's so d- yeah. descri- describe what's going on in the album cover, Finn. It's like to me, it just looks like a mountain, like with a sort of a beak or like a like a large maw, like a uh-huh. mouth, yeah, opening up. It's very red. It's got like it. It's sort of I don't know. It looks like dark fantasy art, but it also kind of looks like like a Rothko or something, like just like abstract kind of shades of red. It feels it just communicates like kind of hatred. Do you notice all the people climbing the mountain? Oh no, I had never seen that. Wow, yeah, there's a that's bunch of there, there's a bunch of damned looking, I think possibly cool. naked humanoid figures climbing the mountain, which that's appears awesome. to be on fire. So to me, it's like this is a mountain in hell. With yes. this absolutely sinister abyss in the middle of it, kind of staring right at you, the 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 viewer of this you know uh, album cover, and and it's interesting because death again they didn't talk about hell explicitly. They were not right. 
it, they were not devil worship. They were they weren't talking about things like that. They they were talking about earthly hell in the earthly realm, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's something at least that was something he talked about in one of the interviews that I read or saw, where he said he basically was of the belief that, uh, I mean, you know, the corny way of saying it is like hell is other people, but I think he mm -hmm. genuinely believed that like hell was something created by people uh on earth and yeah. that, that was that was that's the that's the hell that he's he's talking about that he's engaging with directly here is like human cruelty and ignorance and stupidity and hell can be an inner state too like yeah it, it can be something you're going through it can it can be mm -hmm. a way of a, a perspective you have that's incredibly negative and incredibly toxic right so the I don't know. I, 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 I like how this album uses a lot of the iconography and not some of the aesthetic of traditional death metal, but turning it all inward and turning it all toward the, the human being. And really not uh, not like pessimistic, you know, not not a hate, not not hateful of life. No. Or hateful of happiness or joy or anything like that. It's like the, the frustration and the hate that all comes from it is like, it feels like they're, you know, it's like a release. It's not, uh, it's not saying like, it's not nihilistic, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I agree with you. I think catharsis, I think, is a word I've been sort of yeah. trying, to, trying to stumble upon and haven't found yet mm -hmm. to describe this album. And, you know, the name obviously is The Sound of Perseverance. So right. inherent in the way it's labeled is a sense that whatever hellish experience you're going through whether it's you're subjected to to it by another person or by yourself there's a way in which you can persevere over that and that's that's what the sound of this music is that's why it's so intense is because you're trying to persevere over these challenges yeah i mean i guess also on the album cover like the people are basically climbing like into the hell maw into, right. into like the black hole sure you could kind of say there's also maybe some hopelessness there of like that it's you're sort of like persevering, but like the thing that you're <laughs> overcoming, like there's nothing really beyond that. Right, it might be like more going, powerful than you. Yeah, you're going kind of like it, you sort of have to climb up because there's nothing else. There's no other direction you can, but you're also well. That's nothing. why that's why this is so moving to me is because that that's that is the you know like Christian metal. If yeah, there there is such a thing. Those yeah. you know the, the the those bands are talking about persevering through obstacles too, but it's just completely unconvincing because the end result is, oh yeah. And then, you know, the kingdom of heaven and everything's going to be great and big major key chorus. Right. This is not that this is, this is acknowledging the difficulty and hopelessness of a lot of what life has to offer. Yeah. But it's, but it's presenting an attitude toward that hopelessness that still exerts force and power and still kind of makes you feel as if there's something worth trying to do, which is yeah just it's just really it's endlessly moving to me yeah is there a uh christian death metal band called life probably <laughs> yeah that, should we start one if not uh, li I feel life like we can make some money life with a y i hope right yeah man yeah <laughs> young life yeah there's wow. um i know there's a there's a glam metal christian band called striper that was pretty popular okay or you know like relatively popular in the 80s yeah and uh, and and in a different episode, I talked about Dream Theater with, with someone. Oh yeah, we were talking about how Dream Theater really 
is almost bordering on Christian metal because they have so many, <laughs> they have a bunch of major key choruses and a lot of their songs mm. are, uh, have kind of positive messages and soaring vocals and, and I, I, I like Dream Theater a lot, but that is something that is really corny about their sound and I think is, you know, now listening back to this album from 1992, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Sort of for context of this album too, I was just like looking into popular like what like the most popular stuff in the 90s was uh -huh. or like in 1998 specifically when this came out and the 90s were really like stupid uh corny time that's something i kind of think we i had forgotten about it's just uh -huh. like and when we talk about like missing the monoculture and missing you know when there was like uh like actual like pop music and stuff like sure. especially by the time the 90s came around it was so stupid <laughs> Like this, uh, this album came out, uh, Sound of Perseverance. I think the most interesting thing was, to me is that for whatever reason, this, this just caught my eye. Uh, Sound of Perseverance came out the same month as uh, Devil Without a Cause, the Kid Rock album that has like Ba with the... Sure. Uh, and like, <laughs> it's just so funny to me to, I mean, first of all, what an amazing time to be alive. The two of the greatest albums of all time uh, <laughs> coming out hot on the heels of one another. To me, what is kind of maybe one of the peaks or like the one of the best examples of like what metal can do kind of in, intersecting with the rise of like rap rock and new metal and kind of a true like nadir of uh, the genre was just really interesting. I, I don't split, know. The split between mainstream heavy music in the late yeah. 90s and, you know, alter, I, I don't know whether what to call what this would be. I mean, I guess just... Yeah, underground metal, I guess. Under, but underground like, heavy music is, is... He had videos on like MTV and stuff. Like, he there did, were, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that was, to me, that speaks to just the reach of MTV at the time where they were yeah. a genuinely... Uh, thorough and expansive music organization where they actually did play cool shit too. Yeah, and right. um, and and the philosopher, a song off of the uh, individual thought patterns, was featured on Beavis and Butthead. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, 1999. That's you know, Limp Biscuit. It's just you're talking about two different planets here. Of yeah, uh, they're, they're both heavy music of some kind. I think part of it too is, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but then, uh, you know, like Columbine and the matrix and like all of this stuff just uh the world just kind of really changed especially for weird uh goth people uh -huh. like the the whole uh kind of meaning of like an aesthetics of like heavy stuff sort of took a big shift i think because uh, you know at, at this time at like 1998 sign of perseverance coming out like you could be a metal guy you were kind of scary um but then after Columbine, I think everything kind of changed where if you were listening to this music, you were you were seen as as a threat. Yeah. Even though those guys didn't really listen to this, they were listening to like uh, you know, like German industrial and like Marilyn Manson and stuff. Right. Would but, you call this album violent? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's like it's aggressive, it's heavy music, it's uh -huh. it's definitely like angry music, but I, I wouldn't say it's it's violent i mean early death stuff like scream bloody gore is violent like yeah, those for the, sure the gore stuff is super is ultra violent in a way that i think is kind of meant as sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit or yes, you know as absolutely uh, i think it's kind of a joke 
mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely violent. It's like violent in the way that like Kill Bill is violent. It's it's juvenile. It's violent yeah. in a juvenile way. That's almost right. kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's like Cannibal Corpse. I, I mean, I think of them as a comedy band. more. Yeah, so they're like, a novelty act, basically. Right. They also kind of rule. No, they do, sure. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. like no one's listening to the lyrics and being like, no, I take this incredibly seriously. It's, it's like, right. It's, it's um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I do. I don't I wouldn't call this album violent. It's definitely very punishing. And mm-hmm. and and it's as fast. It's loud. It it ha- it's it sounds evil at times. There there's there's definitely a lot of very glorious kind of almost power metal riffs. But there's also a mm. lot of incredibly not dissonant exactly, but uh, it, it riffs that use a lot of like chromaticism and and they just yeah, sound was... they just sound nasty, just downright nasty. There, yeah. There's a really great synthesis of both styles in this album almost jazzy in a lot of places oh which absolutely. i think I, this really solidified for me i don't think i totally understood the degree to which death metal really is just uh like the prog version of thrash metal kind of like it's just like progged out thrash where yeah just, some, like, some of it is some of it yeah is. And then, this, uh, this uh, is i think this is for yeah. sure yeah this is mm-hmm. and i would call this a progressive metal album even though yeah progressive metal refers to bands like Queensryche or dream theater, which are very far away mm. from what this sounds like. Well, yeah. What do you, what do you think that, cause this is an album full of shredding. Everyone's mm-hmm. shredding fucking all the time. And <laughs> yeah. for me, it works completely. I, I mean, I wouldn't change a note and the fact that it's so technically accomplished is part of the point for me. And, and not just because it's impressive to listen to, because there's plenty of albums that are, impressive to listen to as far as the musicianship goes but you want to fall asleep while you hear it but this for me the the shredding contributes to the effect what do you think i think well he was so good at uh using uh like the rhythm section over the shredding i some music journalists called this like especially in death metal or, or or in metal uh you know, a lot of it has a case of the the Beatles, where it's just like the the Beatly Beatly beat like that yeah. type of like the <laughs> sure. uh-huh. the the super fast guitar, and it, it's and it gets super boring. Yeah. But I think he just it, it all of the soloing and and like the the rhythms underneath it, like the the rhythm guitar. Like to me, death metal is such a like rhythm guitar genre. Like mm-hmm. that, those are where the riffs are. It's yeah. like it's all there, like between like the rhythm guitar and the bass. Uh, and he does such an amazing job of having all of the backing under all of the shredding also be shredding and yes. also moving in a really interesting way. Yeah. Like it's it's all kind of like working, you know, there it's never just static and then somebody shredding over kind of like a, a boring chord change. It's always yeah. like, there's always something happening. There's always kind of a purpose to it. So it, yeah, it just, it sounds really awesome because of that. And then it like knows, he knows exactly when to do like, you know, shift it to a breakdown, like slow everything down and then continue shredding over that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it works. It just, yeah, he, he really was such a master of this type of music and you really, you know, you can, you just hear that in every, every song, like every, every single like measure of this, he, he just had it dialed in. I feel like that's part of why he had such a hard time with 
keeping people in the band or, you know, the other people <laughs> working with other people just because he was so demanding, I think. I think um, so. I think he, uh, he, in his vision, he always had a very specific idea of what death is, what death sounds like. And, and many, many of the musicians, and he worked with some of the best musicians who have ever been in metal and, you know, it things just didn't work out. But also I think Chuck Schuldner was a, I, you know, I, I think of him as a kid in a weird way. Mm -hmm. He was 34 yeah. when he died, but you know, he, this is all he ever did. He, he like worked at Del Taco when he was 17 <laughs> while he dropped he was, out of high school, dropped out of high school, wor you know, worked in fast food and then started death and then death took off and became his life's project. So mm. there was a certain kind of purity to how he was approaching it that I think that can also sometimes lapsed into lack of professionalism and inability mm -hmm. to deal with the discomforts and disappointments of being a working musician, which are, which, you know, I have Many to imagine are, 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 are relentless. Yeah. Especially I mean, this type of music where it's not really commercial no it's not really you're you really are doing this for the love of it you're yeah if you're a death if you're a death metal guy you were doing it because that's just who you are you're you're not doing it i mean at this point maybe later some people were like i could you know i learned how to play these chromatic like the scale or whatever then i could just join a band and kind of like make some money mm -hmm. but as far as like chuck Schuldiner, he was he couldn't have been anything other than this, I think, in his exactly. life. Exactly. It's so, so funny you say that. I'm, I'm reading a lot about black metal right now, and uh -huh. so many of those black metal musicians were like, yeah, we're not trying to make commercial music like the death metal they're playing over in America. It's a really funny idea to think of like how, ex Christ, how extreme you are that you think like this is like poppy. It, it, <laughs> like, yeah, this is this is basically like R and B to you. Yeah. Like, it's uh just like no. But yeah, exactly. No. And and I think over the course of Death's career, Chuck Schuldner worked with all these, you know, just pro session guys and I think sometimes mm -hmm. they lost patience with him or his yeah. demands were so so yeah he um but i think a huge part of is just the the crystal clear vision he had for this band and he he was very you know it's kind of like the steely dan guys i guess they, yeah it, you know that, that's pretty much what he was by this point where he was just like hand picking the best session like death metal session musicians yeah. uh, of the time and telling them exactly how to play it I mean, so, it's almost, or it's like he's like Paul McCartney or something, where he he, he just knows exactly uh, what the sound is, and, and he will kind of try to impose that on whoever will listen. Uh, real quick, let me just shout out who the who are the musicians on this album besides. So we have Chuck Schuldiner who played guitar, rhythm guitar and lead guitar, I think, which is bananas. Wow. Vocals. I think he also co-produced this. Then Shannon Ham, the other guitarist. Scott Clendenin on bass and Richard Christie on drums. And then the producer besides Chuck Schuldner was Jim Morris. Uh, before okay. this album, he worked with uh, the drummer Gene Hoagland, who's one of the all-time uh, drummers in death metal. He, he, he's, he's a really great practitioner of the blast beat, which is a you know very uh, famous drum technique with uh, extreme music. But I think Gene Hoagland and Chuck kind of had disagreements and eventually didn't couldn't work together because you know gene hogan right. is amazing it's hard to imagine 
being like, you know what, you're not a good enough drummer for me. To, to <laughs> yeah, that like, definitely was not it. Yeah. Yeah. So I do think some of it is the vision that Chuck Schulner had, and some of it is maybe an inability to always, you know, I don't know, just personality differences. Maybe sometimes it was hard to be completely professional with whoever he was working with. Right. I mean, yeah, he didn't really like, he didn't party really. It sounded like he, he drank and he maybe smoked weed, but he didn't do any other drugs. He, he was like into, I think, like tripping and stuff, but it sounds like he wasn't, you know, a super, he wasn't what you would necessarily think of as like a metalhead guy. No, he was, he was pretty quiet. I think, I mean, he, when he talks about the things in life he likes to do, it's like, I love hiking with my dog, you know, <laughs> hanging out with yeah. my family. He was a very right. like he was a very internal kind of guy. I mean, I think he, he was very close with his family his entire life. I think what it is is that he was very sensitive. Mm -hmm. So, like uh, the, the, in the early '90s, Death tried to tour in Europe a couple of times, and both times mm -hmm. it completely fell apart, partly due to economic circumstances and their equipment couldn't they couldn't get their equipment together, stuff like that. But I think it's also like as soon as he ran into these challenges he was like ah, I, I don't know and then he you know went back to florida um I, which is a very consistent theme in his life yeah exactly I mean, is moving somewhere I, else struggling going back to florida to his parents house yeah i mean to me that is kind of what death is the sound death is the sound of like not being able to leave florida like you just <laughs> yeah. you just fucking can't he like he went to canada uh -huh. and it didn't work out his mom yeah. had to like drive him bring him back and he went to the bay area and played in bands and he it, you know he didn't really like it he couldn't quite make it work and came back to florida like he just fucking could not leave florida and it it's it's interesting i get it i i find that very like relatable and yeah kind of i mean I, about I think him. he was just really attached to his home life and to his parents yeah. and 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 when you see interviews with him he has a sweet kind of southern drawl well, over the last year, I've had some problems that I've had to overcome. I like to look at them as obstacles, and I feel it's good to learn from your mistakes, perhaps, if you want to call them that, or problems. And I think a lot of the personal emotion came into the music this time around more than ever. I mean, he's like a sweet guy. He's not like, <laughs> he doesn't, I mean, his nickname was Evil Chuck, but it's like he does not come <laughs> off evil at all in any interviews you've ever watched with him. Yeah, that sounds seems kind of like an ironic nickname, like when you call a really big guy right, sure, yeah. or something. Yeah, he, like, I think, yeah, he I think, not an evil dude. Yeah, maybe I'm just reading too much about black metal where there's no irony. So when, when people that call him <laughs> evil are like, no, I, I really mean this literally. Uh, yeah, I stabbed my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, should yeah. we move on to the next track? Yeah, let's do it. Track number two on Song of Sound of Perseverance is called Bite the Pain. I bite the pain! Immediate thoughts about Bite the Pain? Man, this has one of my favorite death lyrics, I think, of all time, of uh, be, beware of the sharp-edged weapon called a human being. Yeah, that, that's a funny lyric. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, shit. Oh, whoa, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> no, kind of like mind-blowing it. like mind in kind of a, a cartoony yeah, way. but which is like a, what a lot of his lyrics are. Uh -huh. like that, it's it's very, like, emo, it, you know, like, for lack of a better term for it. It's, it absolutely it's all is. like, emotional music. For sure. I mean, I keep thinking it, it. it's so funny how many of these songs are about people hurting your feelings. I know. That's, they're like literally all about that. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Through, but through this unbelievable uh, mechanism of the music of death, which is this yeah. like pulverizing force. 
Right. It's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so, it, it's so important to, to you if, if it, if it lands with you, because it's basically just like, yeah, your feelings are like big and important. Yeah. And they like, they have a lot of power. Like this is a very powerful sound. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not trying to like, there's nothing, nothing is suppressed here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the opposite of like re- repressing, you know, any feeling negative feelings that you have. It's like, it's not celebrating it either though. It's just like, I guess, yeah. Catharsis is really the best yeah, thing for it, where, giving, giving voice to it. Yeah. I mean, I think about the 70s run of Black Sabbath albums. What What is so powerful about Ozzy-era Black Sabbath is the overwhelming force of the music and Tony Iommi's riffs with the vulnerability and fear of Ozzy. Watch those flames get high. That's for right. me. That's the sound of Black Sabbath. That's what makes them such a powerful band. Whereas yeah. later on, Ronnie James Dio joins. Ronnie James Dio is a much better singer than Ozzy. And, and it's, those more are, it's more theatrical. It's more theatrical. It becomes so, more like operatic. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. And those albums are pretty good, but they they don't have that heart clenching kind of force. And and this is exactly the same to me. And even even with the 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 transition into control denied with a more traditional uh, clean vocalist, it doesn't work the same because the the screamed, harrowed kind of haunted vocals in this album are what contain all of the spiritual power. Yeah, that's true. I didn't I haven't really thought about it, but it, one thing that does really land about the vocals, especially on this song for some reason, is is how like frightened they sound it's like it's like a an animal who is like frightened of uh you know like being killed basically is is the the kind of sound that it gives it's yeah it's all of that it's like incredibly powerful and incredibly vulnerable at the same time somehow which is so interesting because i think so often shriek shrieks in metal or growls in in metal they're they're meant to evoke creatures that are themselves powerful they're meant to evoke Either demons or fear in the listener they're not yes. really sub- yeah it, but, i mean but, all of metal is is kind of a power fantasy of to some extent of you know like either creating some sort of fantastic world and you know talking about like warriors or demons or things like that uh or like yeah trying to but I, and so uh, I, I think that's why black sabbath this Metallica in the 80s they they sort of become they stand above the rest of the genre I think because they give voice to feelings of helplessness and fear amid there, there's a you know there's a there's a chewy inside to the crunchy oh, yeah. inside of, of of the of the music right which is that that the the vulnerability of the human spirit yeah man should we move on to spirit crusher yeah let's do it perfect yeah per- a perfect transition Immediate thoughts about Spirit Crusher. I mean, just one of the best, uh, one of mo- the most bangers of a chorus uh, of all time for, for any de- any death metal album, but just also any album, like any song, really. Like it's, it's, it's such a fucking good chorus. It's it just, a real it's fist so pumper, hard. isn't it? 
Yeah, it's like it's so triumphant sounding. Yeah, uh, and I mean, and this this is a great contrast between the triumph of the riff and then the the lyrics in the chorus are no guilt. <laughs> it feeds in plain sight. So much feeding. Crusher, uh, like every song strong, up to this point. <laughs> yeah, stay strong and hold on tight. Spirit crusher. Man. I the the joke I kept thinking to myself is this is this song's about girls that reject you on dating apps. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's eating just, in plain sight, man. Yeah, it's just, but it's just funny. It's like who who did this to Chuck that he's yeah. talking about spirit crushers? Like, what, yeah. what's going on? It feels like all of these songs could be about one person who just yeah. really fucking hurt Chuck's feelings real bad. These are good lyrics because you can apply kind of anything to them. You can apply. You know, if yeah. you're if you're a teenager, it's like your teacher who's mean to you or whatever. Or, you know, you, it, if you're angry about a romance that went awry, if your boss is being mean to you, whatever. It, there, in some ways, it does feel like you can apply Spirit Crusher to uh, various entities in your yes. life. Yeah. For, for it, me, for me, over the course of trying to grinding out, you know, the stand-up world, it's like the, the show business is the yes, spirit crusher, right? Absolutely. Every booker, this could be. Yeah. yeah well, uh, any other thoughts about spirit crusher? Oh, that it, it's almost a Iron Man riff, right? In that mm-hmm. chorus, it's like it's like half of the Iron Man riff. It is, and yeah. then and then howling. It's fucking perfect. It's so good. <laughs> It's so crazy how, I mean, this is true of the lyrics. This is true of like a lot of the riffs too, where it's just like right on the line of like almost being like juvenile or like first thought or, or being uh-huh. adolescent, but then just over that into the place where it's like genius. It's just really, it just works so well. Like, I mean, I feel that way about the lyrics definitely where, you know, it's, it's so close to just being like uh teenage, like, sad poetry yeah uh for but, sure and it is it is that but it, it it's also so good because it's it's just so earnest or or it, it's it's so like unselfconscious about about what it is and it and it it communicates something really true and real it's not like yeah he's and not I, trying to do anything fancy here he's really just saying what he's feeling i uh i agree with that i think also you know, so it, it does feel inherently unfair sometimes to just be singling out lyrics with, without the context of the song that they're in, because obviously sure. that's, that's how they're meant to be heard. And I, and I think mm-hmm. for me, these lyrics work extremely well because of everything that's around them, the way that they're the way if if these were sung even i would be like these lyrics kind of suck maybe mm-hmm. right but, <laughs> which it kind of happens in control denied where yeah. a, a lot of lyrics on that album that, that i think would work on a death album sound sort of like corny because they're you, you, they're being sung in a specific way Where with this, it, it all just works perfectly. And yeah, and it's like that blood curdling shriek he has, and then just the the absolutely powerful way he 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 lands the 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 sounds and the consonants and the vowels on along with the music and the fact that it's so clear, crystal clear in your uh, in the in the mix that it it's just like he's screaming right inside of your skull practically. It's a completely 
absorbing experience. Yeah, this might be my favorite song on the album, I think. Just how everything works together, yeah. It's like the single, kind of. It's the it's the poppiest, yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah, has it was, the biggest hook. Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess this is one of those songs that you know Count Grishnok would be like, "This is <laughs> this tr- is fucking commercial yeah. trash." Right, right. Um, uh, I'm gonna play the beginning of the song again real quick, just because I love how the bass riff and the guitar riff coincide. It, and it, it starts it does, with a, a jazzy bass solo. Yeah, it does a rhythmic thing that I think is really cool. I, I don't know enough about music theory to be able to I- accurately express this, but somehow the bass line by itself and then the riff, which seems to double it, they almost seem to be happening in different time signatures, but they... Yeah, there's like, some weird polyrhythm stuff happening. Yeah, the the riff is coming in on like the one and or something like that. I don't know how it works, but it it, it just it has this disorienting effect. It, it just completely hooks me into the song. It's so fucking crazy that this is music made by like burnouts and like high school dropouts and like people who never, I don't know, I assume like never, you know, had any like formal musical training. Like, they, did they Ch- just. Chuck Schuldner did it for sure. Yeah, Chuck like, Schuldner just has one of the great ears in music. I mean, it's like Eddie Van Halen did not have formal musical training, but he, you know, has a, he's a savant or was so a amazing. Should we move on to the next track? Yep. Let's talk about Story to Tell. What do you think of Story to Tell, Finn? Another chorus I really love. Uh, And yeah, when you think of me and your multidimensional mind, really great. I I feel like he's he's kind of addressing more of the the meta narrative of of death and of how he's perceived here of kind of trying to distance himself from the idea of like being an evil band or, or, you know, the music itself being like really evil. Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought of that for this song, but that, that makes a lot of sense. So many songs that have really cool lyrics end up being just like, you know, bands complaining about critics, which yeah. I, I always am like, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of lame. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It does sort of suck when it's like, it's turns, you know, but it's also like, that's what they care about. That's, oh yeah. That's, and that's, that's the Somebody hurt their feelings. Through. Yeah, this is not a song for me that jumps out. I mean, I think it's really good. It's you know every song in this album is very listenable, but it doesn't jump out to me the way that Scavenger of Human Sorrow does, Spirit Crusher, or any of this, or some of the songs we're going to talk about later. Is there anything in this particular track that for you really works? Uh, well, I really love the uh, the da, 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 just like the staccato, like a yeah. lot of the back, the, the, the little breakdown that uh-huh. that really that always just gets me for some reason. It's it's song is a hard it's a hard act to follow. It's tough to follow Spirit Crusher. It is Spirit Crusher just fucking rules so much. And story to tell is 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 kind of a corny name. Uh, kind of a yeah. I think something it's, that has always struck out stuck out to me. Is that I this think is it, one of the, like the cornier titles. I think so. I think part of it is the lyrical content doesn't have as strong of an image as a scavenger of human sorrow. It's like wow, I've I've never heard that. That that's cool. Yeah. Like, story to tell, yeah, it's a little vague. It's a little general. It's like scavenger of human sorrow is only a song that would be on a death metal album. 
but right. like story to tell could be on fucking anything. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it could like be a, on a folk, um, uh, yeah, a Sarah McLaughlin album. Sure, it could be. Yeah, I mean, but it's like also, yeah. It, it, at the same time, though, I mean, and this is something that I've just been thinking about a lot that I, I think has come up in other like when we've talked about this before, but you know. Uh, one of the ways that you know, one of the things that makes a band really great is, uh, you know, it's not just are there songs like can they write great songs? It's like are is there are there less good songs also really good? Yeah, and of in this case, absolutely. Like yes, this yeah. is this is maybe my you know least favorite song on the album, but it still has one million riffs that any other band would have killed to have written absolutely like, there are and, so many good riffs in this song that i i have skipped when i listen to this album which is just fucking incredible yeah i mean yeah this album could be called one million riffs it's like yeah. <laughs> just one after the other and and yeah and it's so jagged but it doesn't feel discontinuous like the, the, it does that progressive music thing where there's a riff and then it stops and then there's a right turn and something else happens but to me, it doesn't feel disjointed. It do, it doesn't feel like oh, you don't know how to write a song, and so you just bail out of a riff. Right no, away. yeah, it, it all works together. That's that's what's so incredible about it is that it's one million riffs that all like interlock and interweave perfectly. That he's just kind of arranged in the in the like the best possible way. It's it's so fucking cool. I mean, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, oh, sorry. What? Go ahead. I was gonna ask, what do you think about how the guitars sound on this album? They have a very particular sound to my ears. They're they're very shiny, for lack of yeah, a better it, term. It feels a lot more like power metally or something. Especially, yeah, yeah uh, you you get it a lot more in this one and in the first uh, first song too. I feel mm-hmm. like just right off the bat, all, all over the place, it kind of sounds a lot more like more soaring or something i i don't know I don't, I don't know enough about like guitar sound to say what it is if it's like chorus or sustain or like no whatever. yeah i mean yeah it's it, i think i think they they do seem to have a little bit of reverb I, as far as mm-hmm. gear i have no idea what they were using but yeah. it just it, that that's that always jumps out to me is that the guitar sound is very cutting and shiny and and sharp and um, like clean kind of it's very like, clean uh, it's, it's much more clean than like any other death metal I've, I've listened to yeah yeah there's there's no murkiness and i think a lot of early death metal is incredibly murky you just hear like you hear these like really fast chromatic kind of riffs going on buried in this you know uh catastrophe of sound right and that's yeah that's not what's happening here everything is incredibly precise it's it's like this intricate machine where you can see all the cogs working together uh really fast (laughs) like and and the result is kind of the same thing where it it sounds like a catastrophe it's it is also a catastrophe of sound but it's like it's it's he arrives at it in a different way that takes a lot more work yeah and is and is then the the you know, result is more powerful ultimately, I think, for that. Let's move on to the next track, an all-time title for a death metal song, Flesh and the Power It Holds. Hell yeah. Behold the flesh and the power it holds. 
Big, uh, big this guy fucks energy from Flesh and the Power it holds, right? Yeah, this guy decidedly does not fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, this is like the funniest song on this album to me. Uh, yeah, it, it's so like deadly serious and about not fucking. About not fucking. So I, I'm just let's read. I'll just read uh, some selected lyrics. When you live the flesh, it is the beginning of the end. It will take you in. It will spit you out. Behold the flesh and the power it holds. Passion is a poison laced with pleasure, bittersweet. One of the many faces that hide deep beneath. <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, I I do think Ch yeah. Chuck Schulner was like a pretty handsome guy, and mm -hmm. like when when you see live uh, footage of him, he's he cuts a charming figure. Honestly, yeah. compared to many extreme meddlers. He's uh well first he's kind of ripped because of all that shredding he does. So yeah, he's got you these, have to like, be. He's got these like biceps and he he dresses kind of cool and like you know tight shirt and like tight jeans. So it, I I you know in terms of like how he presents himself, I don't get incel vibes. But this this is a very incel-y song. And I don't get the vibe even from his interviews that he is the guy who fucks at all. <laughs> like he doesn't does not give that kind of energy. It feels like he is maybe just too. I think to me, this is like a thing where, like, you got to get out of your head, man. You're 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 living a little bit too much inside your own mind, right? And uh, en enough metronome practice, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Go on a date, my dude. This is a very Florida song. Like, I can imagine him like going to Miami. With, oh you my know, god! And just being like, "What the fuck is this?" Just seeing yeah, like, this... asses and abs on the beach, and just being like, "God, like, I'm, I'm going back to Orlando." You I'll know? be in my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, I'll be practicing my riffs. Uh, just just on the topic of Florida, what do you think it is about that state that has produced so much death metal? God, it, I it's got to be the humidity, right? I mean, it's like there's something about the 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 climate that just produces this type of music. And it makes sense. I mean, I don't know, like when you think, come contrast it to black metal, which is like from the coldest hell Norway. Norway. Yeah. yeah, sure. Like it's like death metal is hot and black metal is cold. Like those are the differences. It and it makes it's sense because of the places. It certainly does, but also also it's like uh, Tampa, Florida, Orlando, Florida. Not like by the yeah. ocean. Like the it's these. Um, well, I guess I guess I actually don't know if Tampa and Orlando are um, landlocked. Uh, my, my Florida geography is yeah, mine is, mine is, is terrible. But I think I think of death metal as coming from like inland Florida, so yeah, you're, you're, central Florida, right? You're like you're yeah. not you're not in somewhere where the it's necessarily like beautiful naturally. You're mm -hmm. around a lot of highways and strip malls and sort of the the detritus of like suburban America, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I whether, think... you know, uh, higher class or lower class, it's it's just kind of like a a drab place to be is what this is what I imagine. And um and yeah, the suburbs of of these places are where a certain kind of teenager comes up with death metal. Yeah, specifically because it's it's all suburban, right? It's like it's it, it's made by like suburban kids. Like he's from Altamont Springs or whatever. Yeah, he's from he's from outside of Orlando, and yeah, 
And it's, you know, my, I, I, besides Miami, I can't imagine that like downtown Orlando or downtown Tampa is like an urban, you know, yeah. a huge urban. <laughs> yeah. Metropolis. I mean, I, I have no idea, but it, it seems really shitty to me to be from suburban mm-hmm. Florida. Like it seems like a place I personally would not enjoy uh-huh. being. And I, I, that's just gotta be part of it. It's like, I don't know, being at a place where, uh, it, 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 cause it's, it's kind of like just strip Molly. Yeah. Like you were saying, like very just suburban, super boring. Like if you have any inclination towards this type of like darkness or, you know, wanting to make some kind of extreme music, it's going to feel like you are, I don't know, enacting it on your surroundings. So maybe Florida is the only place uh, in the United States shitty enough to create death metal. I will say Cannibal Corpse is from Buffalo, New York, which okay. um, is also a bleak place to be. But, yeah, um, I guess that's what it's not shittiness. It's it's bleakness. Yeah. There's something very bleak about suburban Florida uh-huh. in my imagination. I'm, I'm not having been there. I, I can't speak to it, uh, but seems bleak just based on everything I've uh, based on my reading. And uh, and I do think the 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 weather is is worth thinking about and i do think that has an effect i think you're you're the the fucking you know humid 100 degree heat bouncing off of the pavement and yeah just putting you in a bad mood and you're driving and ah, fuck this sucks and there's no natural beauty around to kind of alleviate you know because death metal music is very much it doesn't sound like it's trying to mimic the sounds of nature right it's very much yeah. the the sounds of human beings exerting a lot of energy and force. Yeah. It's, it's very machine-like. Yeah, it's trying to, you're trying to create the sound of evil. Right. Or of, of anger. Yeah. And I also think, because uh, Sepultura, the, the famous death metal man, they're from Brazil, and Brazil actually has a pretty um, well-regarded like death metal scene from the 80s. And Brazil is a very beautiful place, but very hot. So I do think there's something about the weather and yeah and the differences between black metal and death metal could completely track with with what you were saying yeah it's uh, the brazil thing that's part is that partly just because of like how big iron maiden was there people yeah i think people just love metal in brazil uh yeah but you know yeah they're they're and and one of the and a lot of the Norwegian black metal bands were very influenced by a Brazilian band called Sarcophago, who were like technical death metal bridging into mm. black metal. But yeah, of, of all the South American countries, Brazil has the most impact on metal culture overall for, for whatever reason. It feels like maybe there's also something to like, uh, I don't know. I can't think of off the top of my head, aside from like, um, you know, like Cuban music, like Mm -hmm. Florida doesn't have a sound to me. Like there's not really like a, a a Florida uh, sound. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. I guess like, yeah. Kind of boomer, like parrot head beach guy. It depends on the demographic. I think for, for like Hispanic people in Florida, it's, you know, Cuban salsa and right. Whatever, whatever, uh, you know, uh, Latin American music is, is your tradition. 
and then for like old yeah older uh, alcoholics, it's Jimmy Buffett. And then uh-huh. for like nihilistic teens who grew up in the eighties and nineties, it's death metal. Man, what a what a cool tradition to be to be a part of. There should be some fusion like reggaeton. There probably is a guy that does like reggaeton and death metal somewhere. Yeah, in, uh... that sounds really bad to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like something I would not like. Yeah, or man, God. Uh, should we move on to the next track? Let's do it. Let's do. Let's talk about "Voice of the Soul," the only instrumental on this album. Being a voice of the soul. Is this the only death song that has acoustic guitar on it? It's got to be, right? Very possibly, yeah. I think this is definitely an anomaly in their catalog. I mean, I love how it sounds. It, I, I love the how it's almost... It, I mean, the guitar almost sounds like Fade to Black or something. It sounds like yeah. a, a Metallica ballad. It's not necessarily my favorite song on the album, but I, I appreciate it being in there. I think it's it's cool to have a... You know, this, this is very clearly just him expressing himself musically in a way that he he feels that he can do like this is death's take on this type of song um but it's not necessarily a song where i'm like i gotta i gotta turn up the volume for sure for sure it definitely has a place for me um uh, on this album i i, I mean it's almost it reminds me of uh, i don't know if you ever listen to nick drake the the very mm-hmm. sad folk uh singer from the early 70s but yeah it's it, it kind of sounds like one of his instrumentals because Nick Drake's, oh, huh. Nick Drake's, I mean, not really. Like Nick Drake isn't shredding over what he's doing, but that would be tight. That would, and he could. He was he was a really yeah, he was really, a great guitar player, really yeah. good guitar player. But there's a there's a warmth to the clean guitar on this that reminds me of an old Nick Drake instrumental. There's a mournfulness to it that that, that that feels similar. But yeah, I just love that it's Chuck Schuldner's take on almost like a sad folk instrumental, but then he's also like, let me fucking... Shred, Hold on. Let me shred <laughs> yeah. my fucking face off over this. What if folk music was fucking sick? Yeah, what, what, if, what if? That would be great. And can it, you it imagine? Is. It, it turns yeah. out it is... Great job, Chuck. And uh, and but yeah, it's like the and I don't know the the fact that this is called Voice of the Soul to me fits in with the the thematic content of the album, which is it's it's the sound of the human of the human being internally trying to cope with whatever difficulties are are coming, and I, I, th- th- this is a way of coping that's a little more calm, a little more reflective, not necessarily pummeling you with its anger and with its with its frustration yeah it's very beautiful and there's a, there's a lot of beauty in it which i think is a pretty brave thing to do for uh, you know someone in the metal world where people love to complain and talk shit if something is perceived to be like even vaguely outside of like the genre that it's supposed to be inside like yeah know, i mean so so much metal especially extreme metal is preoccupied with sounding ugly that's a mm-hmm. part of the aesthetic is we are an ugly band we are giving voice to ugly experiences ugly feelings the, and and so the riffs are supposed to sound jagged and unmelodic mm-hmm. not catchy it's supposed to be kind of a punishing experience but chuck Schuldner 
I think from the very beginning was not really about that. I think he was always interested in coming up with melodies and songs that had something traditionally appealing about them. They weren't just ugly. They weren't just punishing and dark. Yeah, he was never trying to just make death metal. He was he was just expressing himself creatively and and this is these are all just the sounds that he was hearing. He wasn't like yeah, trying to check any boxes or or follow any kind of trend that he had created or you know that he was following. He really was just kind of following his his creative impulses, which is it's pretty amazing that he was just a guy who did that for his entire career. Yeah. And I think the fact that he wasn't an avowed Satanist or an avowed mm-hmm. member of some like anti-theological <laughs> uh, ideology that he was just trying to express himself as honestly as he could. I think that really contributes to this because bands like Deicide, uh, Morbid Angel, mm-hmm. who I mean, I think the members of Morbid Angel like literally worship H.P. Lovecraft's Great Old Ones like, as, as, as real, like, gods. Hell, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> and it's like, and that is, like, that is that is hilarious, and I'll listen to that for an album or two, but... Oh, it's it's good as heck. But by uh, the time, by, by the time it's, like, 15 albums in, and it's still, like, like all yeah, right... Talk about pain, painting yourself into a box. Yeah, I mean, like, just what can you uh, do H. with that? Or He's only has so many books. There's only so many great old ones for us to worship. Yeah, and, and I think that 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 really contributes to the monotony of so much death metal, and or, or you know, mm-hmm. Sepultura. I think is another example of s- someone who was genuinely trying to explore their music. I mean, they started out as a you know, very traditional death metal. <laughs> But then by the mid-90s, they were incorporating Brazilian tribal rhythms and recording, like, indigenous singing. And they, they were not afraid to expand their sound and change what Sepultura was about. And same with Death, but... but and I, and I, yeah, I think this is why, like, this stands above other examples of, of death metal in the genre. And I think this song is a great example mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Let's move on to the next track. To forgive is to suffer. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of to forgive is to suffer? Man, that one riff where it's just like the bass kind of doing the boom, 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 the oh, weird kind of jazzy, and then it's yeah. just like like windmilling down. It's so fuck. It's so good. Uh, the lyrics are funny. It's like, damn, this guy has yeah. trust issues. Yeah, like who hurt you, Chuck? Wait, really, what happened? I'm so curious because there's nothing in his biography that I can really tell aside from. Unless it's like about a bandmate or like about somebody, it really might be. I mean, I think he yeah. was like an extraordinary, you know, as they call as they call him now, a highly sensitive person. <laughs> yeah, that's like a whole. I, I I truly I think he was just an extraordinarily sensitive guy who his feelings were genuinely hurt a lot, and he yeah. put that into the music and. It's- like the inspiration to this song might be completely disappointing if we find out, like, oh, it's. Oh, I'm of, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's something relatively minor. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like it would be very funny to kind of part ways on somewhat weird terms with with Chuck Schuldiner and then to like <laughs> read these lyrics later and be like, "Is this about me?" Yeah. Like Chuck, I, I borrowed your amp, and I, I, it was like dinged when you gave it back. Right, when I gave right, it right. back. Like, what? <laughs> 
man. Uh, yeah, I do, I do feel like this is, but again, you know, these are real feelings. It's, and it's, it's, uh, it's totally honestly and clearly expressed. There's nothing like pretentious or uh, dishonest about, about how he's expressing this. Let me, uh, let me read some lyrics here. The easy way to say, okay, twist your knife a little deeper. Words so sharp, actions dark, hide the blade of the deceiver. Enforce the words no more, be free, alone you might just find serenity. I think the lyrics here don't work as well for me because the syntax is less clear. And mm -hmm. there's a lot more like a, like a thought that starts in one verse and then takes like three turns in the music before it it concludes yeah i will say i love once or twice as kind three or four is blind that's just a great kind of like uh shouty fun anthem yeah uh, that's true it just it just sounds good i i like uh i like how simple and kind of i love a a little couplet do you do you believe that to forgive is to suffer finn gosh uh i mean i guess so you know, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll forgive anything. Uh, although I don't feel like I'm suffering that yeah. much. So maybe, maybe not. I feel like it's probably fine. It's an interesting, yeah. It's, I mean, it's an interesting thought. I, I, I think, yeah, this is why I said like, well, this guy, I think, I think this guy has trust issues because yeah. I think like true forgiveness of somebody is, is, is liberating for Chuck. It's like, I mean, I guess he just feels like he was really taken advantage of by whoever this is, who he's yeah. refusing to forgive. It's very unchristian of of Chuck. That's true. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. That's. I mean. I feel like that's a big. Uh, yeah. Just value and like Christian and American like society is the idea of like forgiveness, mercy, like all of these things being virtues. But him here saying that it, it. I mean, he's not even necessarily saying that like to forgive is to suffer, so you shouldn't forgive people. He's just saying that it it is like a type of suffering to like a lot of people yeah. to hurt you. I guess, but then but it's kind the, of it's kind of murky. It's kind of tough to know exactly what he's saying here. I mean, also alone, you might just find serenity. It's like okay, so just don't deal with people at all. <laughs> like, <Yeah. you're, laughs> I mean, just like people hurt you too much, so you're just gonna you know be alone. I mean, th this is um, I mean, a very emo. This is this is like a yeah. this is an emo album in a weird way. It is. It fully is. I mean, I don't think there's. I don't. I still don't really understand what emo is as a genre. But if anything is emo, how is this not? Yeah. Not emo. Yeah, I guess it's like, I think emo does have screamed vocals too. I suppose emo doesn't have shredding as much. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, it, it's definitely like death metal, but yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the guy's got a lot on his mind. He's, no, he's, yeah. he's got a lot of big feelings. Yeah, I think, I think I mentioned the emo thing. I mean, obviously you talked about it before, but also it, it, it has been interesting for me to think about the boundaries between different types of heavy music. Like hardcore punk from you know the eighties is really heavy, but it's certainly different from heavy metal. And like, what is different about it? That that's an, that's yeah. been interesting for me to uh, try to find. And I think I think a big aspect of what makes metal metal is the focus on musicianship, is mm. the 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 prominence they put on the instruments being played a certain way with a certain yeah. technicality, and. And, you know, in this album, it does not at all take away from the emotional impact. It actually, it contributes to it for me. Oh, totally. Let's move on to a moment of clarity. 
What do you think of a moment of clarity? I mean, I think if I'm going to get a any death lyrics on a throw pillow for my uh-huh. <laughs> place, yeah. it's it's going to be from this song probably. Life is like a mystery with many clues but few answers. I think is is what I would go with. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's got some very like corny lyrics, but I also I don't know I. I I do like the the overarching meaning here, even if I'm I don't totally know what he's what he, this is about specifically. But I mean, I, I, yeah. I like I like that it's a undefinable moment of communion with some power beyond yourself. That's that's what it seems to be describing a moment of clarity, right? Like what yeah. what is clear? What what has been revealed? We don't know. I think that's you know that that's always something that works for me and literature art is that like taking you to the brink of some kind of revelation but not letting you see what it is but right letting, letting, letting you, you see fill it in yeah and letting you see the effect that that has on the on the character that works mm-hmm. for me with that being said i think the this is this might be the weakest track on the album for me i think because the music the music is a little bit plotting it, it, there, there, there's not as many exciting and fast-paced and kind of like fist pumping riffs here yeah it's a it's kind of mid-tempo it's not really like it doesn't have any like really big breakdown that i can think of right now yeah. like it's yeah it, it is kind of uh it, it's got a little bit less like shape to it yeah it's 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 less memorable than than other moments on this album but and you know it, it i think it's worth saying this is the last chuck shoulder lyric we ever hear from death because the next song is a cover of judas priest so right I, I do I, I do think it's I like that the last death lyric we ever hear from him is this image of reaching a, even just a moment of clarity, whatever clarity means to him, uh, re- reaching some kind of understanding or revelation that that, that that to me is a moving image. Yeah, there is something very and that that last lyric, even though it, it does sort of sound like uh, uh, like, you know, throw pillow or like a, a, right, a or big fr- multi font. Yeah, like, but it, the whole lyric is is kind of beautiful. Life is like a mystery with many clues, but with few answers to tell us what it is that we can do to look for messages that keep us from the truth. Like, yeah, something about that of these the the messages that keep us from the truth. I don't know. I don't know what he's saying there, but it, it feels it feels very meaningful, and it feels like. Um. Yeah, it, it it doesn't feel like a a bummer to to end his his career as a lyricist on. Although he's he he writes lyrics in uh, Control Denied, exactly. Control but Denied, the, too. But yeah, yeah. This is the last like death song where, yes. where we hear his lyrics. Uh, yeah. a, a verse I like earlier in the song is "Look to beyond what vision lets me see time after time unneeded misery." Holding tight to my dreams, I own no price for you. I grip them tight and hope for sight. So th- this is I, this this goes into the theme we've been talking about the whole album of be, being a part of some state of existence where you're suffering a lot. That that could be due to your own problems or due to things external to you, and having a sense of what you want out of life and not being sure how to manifest that. And kind of holding on tight. That, that, that I don't know. That's a theme that uh, recurs, and I think is expressed powerfully here. Yeah, it feels like it does. It is offering a little bit, of, a little bit more hope mm-hmm. for 
you know, than, than might be, you might expect from an um, album that's so kind of punishing yeah. and angry. But yeah, it does. This- it's sort of, it's like as much as hopeful as this type of music can get. And it, it might help to clarify things that this is one of the songs that was originally intended with clean vocals. And there is a demo of this song with clean vocals. And Whoa. this is this is a this is more of like a power metal song, I think. Lyrically. Yeah. So it, and, 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 and musically, would you yeah, say? You can hear it. In the, yeah, you can mm-hmm. hear it in the in the guitars. And yeah, yeah, and just kind of like the sound of it. Yeah. Let's move on to the last track on the album. An absolute banger to end this with. Painkiller, which is a cover of the Judas Priest classic. Oh man, man what, what a think? banger! Yeah, Holy fuck. wow, what an ending! It, I, it's so dope. It really reminds. It's such a good reminder that like uh, more than grimness or pet like uh, nihilism that metal's roots are just really about like cool shit. Like just Uh like being like being fucking badass is like what is really where metal comes from. It's not about like uh, being bummed out or, Uh you know, even though like that's all part of it. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's supposed to, it's triumphant music. I mean, you you really just, yeah, it it feels like it's just leading into his, his next project in a lot of ways, but it's also such a good way to end this album specifically. I don't really even know why it works so well. The fact that it's a Judas Priest cover, the fact that he's using like the, the, he's giving it the high sing singing a shot. Yeah. Like a power, like a, a a power metal kind of, well, it's, it's a mix, it's a mix of his screaming and it's like he's screaming in tune yeah it's it's like it's it's just it's getting there it's uh-huh. so it's so close and it sounds awesome i love how this i love how the vocals sound on this i think it's, it's a really cool oh like, man effect. i mean i i want to bang my head through a window after listening <laughs> yeah, to that. It's, it's just so it's so energetic and have you listened to the to the original the judas priest song Not in a long time. I, I oh. was listening to Judas Priest a little bit recently, and it, it really fucking rocks. I, the <laughs> Painkiller is Priest so rocks. good. The Judas Priest Painkiller is so good. To end it, end your career as a as the band Death, as one of the most important death metal bands of all time, one of the greatest bands ever. Uh, to end it on a Judas Priest cover is so cool. <laughs> I love that because because it's just like Chuck Schulner fucking loves metal and he yeah he loves the bands that came before him and he just genuinely wants to pay tribute to. Yeah, this is not like ironic. It's no. not a it's it's not a deconstruction of like you know what Judas Priest was or like what you know what this the the previous uh iteration of heavy music could have uh-huh. done better or was corny about it it's like a very sincere perfect cover of a great song and it's just awesome yeah and it just lyr- rules lyrically i as i i've cuz i've reading the lyrics to painkiller it's the first time i heard it I was like, what the hell is this about? Like, I mean, it's about some uh-huh. crazy dude on a motorcycle, but like, what? what is this? But then like- He's half man half machine. He's right. I mean, I guess it's like, that's a stupid question, but it's like, what, what's, yeah, what, what's going what? on? <laughs> what's going on in this song? Um, but it's like, okay, um, the whole arc of Painkiller is this half man, half machine 
cool, you know, creature saving mankind from damnation. Like, um, yeah, flying high on rapture, stronger, free, and brave, nevermore encaptured. They've been brought back from the grave with mankind resurrected forever to survive. Returns from Armageddon to the skies. So this is like a, save, a saving kind of angel that comes down and rescues humanity from whatever pain and strife they're going through. And on his big, big motorcycle. On his big, huge motorcycle and, you know, with, with, with this screaming sound of a, you know, lead guitar doing fucking sweeps, right? <laughs> And yeah. uh, that is such a for that's such a weird in a weird way. It's a very moving way to close this album, and it's very moving to think of this as like kind of one of the last grand statements that Chuck Schuldner made before he died, which is this like this complete devotion to heavy metal aesthetics. I mean, it, it, to me, I, I think of a kid who's drawing a big like monster that's going to prevent his parents from getting divorced or something right uh, it's like yeah it's like it's it, but, like it, it, there, there, there's there's a way in which it's evoking a sensitive childlike soul who has trouble dealing with the problems of the real world and resorting to fantasy and heavy metal and shit that's cool and finding great solace in it it's like, oh, it's a weirdly, it's, yeah, it's very moving to me, even though it's such a hammy and ridiculous song. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's kind of like the, the the heart of what is awesome about metal. Metal is all of those things. It's like very moving. It's very like, it's very, you know, showing a very sensitive kind of childlike wonder and uh, excitement about the world, but also incredibly like corny and operatic and, and over the top and everything. I mean, yeah, this really, it really is a song about like heavy metal the mm-hmm. spirit of heavy metal as a as a embodied by a half man half machine riding a big motorcycle who's faster than a laser and louder than an atom bomb saving the world which is yeah it kind of what it's all about i mean and i really believe that chuck schuldiner in his heart like somehow believed that the heavy metal could like be the salvation be people's salvation could be like a world saving force which is is a weird thing to believe that's a weird believe to hold very deeply but it produced some really amazing art and you know it probably has as good a chance of saving the world as anything else at this point (laughs) yeah fuck let's give it a try yeah may as well let's get the fucking painkiller in here so after this album they he makes control denied um the the fragile art of existence i believe it's called pretty good album and then uh he starts noticing pain in his uh, upper spine, he goes to a chiropractor. He goes to a what's the thing with needles? What do they call that? A, oh, um, acupuncturist. Acupuncturist, and then eventually uh-huh. gets an MRI, discovers he has a brain tumor, and then and does not have insurance. Does right, not have insurance. Incurs uh-huh. massive hospital costs. Uh, a lot of heavy metal musicians, uh, you know, raised money for him, including Kid Rock. Uh, yes, Kid Rock and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think. Yeah, so got and got Dave Grohl for that. And Dave Grohl had, was a really big fan, I think. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Dave Grohl loves heavy metal, right? I think. Yep. It, um, and then, and then, yeah. Ultimately, Chuck Schuldner died in in two thousand one, and it's yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, it's really really sad because he was such a uh, had such an expansive 
inner force and had such a curiosity about what he could do in metal that it really it would have been incredible to see what he what he came up with after this yeah man i i really he's one of those people yeah i i would just die to know what what his career would have looked like if he had if he had lived i mean because metal guys tend to just stay in metal their entire careers like metal metal dudes seem to have really long careers like judas priest put on an album like two years ago that is fucking great yeah it's really really good uh but yeah so i I don't think he would have like changed genres or anything but i do think he would have been an amazing force for metal in the world and and would have done pretty incredible stuff finn that's the end of the album uh i have a couple questions left my one question is you you are a new father that's an incredibly intense experience big time i'm sure what what how do you feel your perspective on life and the world and your place within it has changed since it, it, in the in the months since you've been a new father and if you don't have this worked out <laughs> I, I understand <laughs> yeah i mean i i haven't really been thinking about that i'm mostly in just uh sleepy sure. i would say that that's the biggest change is just the sleep i mean honestly listening to this i i was kind of like I haven't really been in the mood to listen to like super heavy music since having a baby, just because it's like so intense and I, uh-huh. there's so much intense stuff already happening. Exactly. But I did, I did find listening to this album, especially very cathartic and like very triumphant as well. And there's something about like when you're dealing, especially when like your baby is like crying or whatever, which I think mine is now I got to go soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to go. Uh, but yeah, we only have 45 minutes left. So just, okay, you know, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put this album on and let them <laughs> yeah, feel it. Exactly. But it's like, you're in touch with, a. uh, there's something very like relatable to this type of music. That's just like a primal, like scream. It's, it's basically mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, and then it, being in contact with a creature who is just like, also just telling you exactly what it's feeling at every moment in real time all the time it's like i don't know there's something kind of cool about that in a way like death metal sort of feels like the music a baby would make Uh, yeah sure yeah my dad's a real spirit crusher he didn't give me my my pudding yeah (laughs) exactly yeah to forgive is to suffer (laughs) but other than that i mean definitely been thinking a lot more about uh how to bring up a child in a world that seems to be ruined but uh other than that i feel pretty good and yeah what's so moving about this album it's made by a band called death but what i hear throughout the entirety is the is life this is this is an incredible this is an incredibly alive album that that makes me it truly makes me thankful to be alive that i can yeah i get to hear music like this and to feel feelings like this yeah it's incredibly uh yeah like leaves me feeling very like uh, triumphant and like pumped up in a way that most other death metal decidedly does not decidedly does not is not intended to my last question is where can people find out about what you're doing finn uh you know follow me on twitter at finn straley um uh that's pretty much it right now i'm really just focusing on being a dad at this moment but hopefully going to be working on some other stuff soon any any baby pictures gonna make it to the to the timeline? You know, we haven't posted anything on like Instagram or Facebook uh-huh. yet. I, I I don't really know. Like, I just like have not wanted to, which feels like a good enough reason. <laughs> um, but I think we're gonna we're gonna make some posts now. He's you he'll mean, make his you, you social media debut. You don't want to turn the experience of having a child into content. 
<laughs> I know that's I think that's ultimately what it, I, I haven't like thought it through to that extent. It's just like anytime I've thought about like, okay, time to like write a post about having a child. It's like, oh man, this feels sad. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, gotta get those likes. Yeah, I want, I gotta, those, I I want mean, those damn likes. You gotta keep the kinda gotta keep the fucking content pump flowing, Finn. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also but it also feels weird to like post about anything else. Uh, sure, because this is what this is what this is your life. This is what's going yeah. on. This is, this is the most important thing you're dealing with. Yeah. So I I just uh, I don't know. I'll figure out something. But you well, know. Finn, thanks for giving me your valuable time. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed revisiting this album with you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you for listening to Networking with Satan. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, full video of each interview, and exclusive full-length Count Morgulak tracks, including Assaulted by Vile Filth Amidst the Senescence of the Morbid Eclipse, Assaulted by Vile Filth Amidst the Senescence of the Morbid Eclipse, and who can forget the classic Excoriated by Ravenous Demons in the Twilight of the Separating Carcass of the Decapitated Cosmic Defiler. Excoriated by Ravenous Demons in the Twilight of the Separated Carcass of the Decapitated Cosmic Defiler. Once again, you can follow the show on Instagram at Networking with Satan and Twitter at NWS420666. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode.